Hello, my name is Carl Lloydhauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because He loves you so much. All right, so excited to be here this morning. So how many of you want to grow? Okay, then the question is, how many of you want, how many of you want to change? Because if you want to grow, you're going to have to change, right? And, and so we like the grow part, but the change, uh, it's a little, little difficult. And there's two types of change. Uh, one type of change is incremental change. And so I'll talk a, a little bit about that. Um, so for example, every time you go to get a new iPhone, right, there's some sort of change. And every time I get a new iPhone, I'm just like, all right. I guess it's better, you know, it's got some wonderful camera thing that I don't notice, and I guess it's a lot faster. So now, who's, let's see who's got the oldest iPhone in here. Who has a, an iPhone 10 or earlier? Anybody here? Okay, put your hands up so I can see them. Anybody have an 8 or earlier? Okay, there's a hand there. It's 7, 6, 6, 5? Is there any, holy cow, 6, is that what you have? And you can't even use that anymore, right? <laughs> You're just carrying that thing around. It's just extra plastic to hold on to. So, um, but if you, have the, if you had the iPhone 1 and then you had the iPhone 14, your iPhone 14, through this incremental change over 23 years, over 14 renditions, it is your iPhone 14 now is 47 times faster than the iPhone 1. So you take 47 little iPhone 1s to get the same speed that you have in your iPhone 14. It holds 128 times more stuff than the first one, right? And so you don't notice it, but over time, I mean, 47 times more faster, 128 times more stuff, that, that's a big deal. And incremental change is important. It's powerful. And see, the little things that you sow into your life right now, the little changes, the little course corrections, you know, you sow righteousness. We've talked about this before. It's going to yield righteousness in your life. And so incremental change is a powerful and an important type of change, but it's not the type of change we're talking about today. I want to talk about transformational change. And it's this moment where, where God just comes in and just, boom, changes everything. So here, here's a picture of transformational change. Leandro uh, Matrias, he is a, a hairstylist in um, Brazil. And what he does is he'll go find uh, homeless people and he'll give them a transformation, complete makeover. And so there's one. I mean, they just come in and he's like, can I make some change for you? Isn't that amazing how different a person looks as he comes in one last time? And so uh, a lot of these people I interviewed afterwards, they, they would see themselves and they would just be like, they would cry. They were like, I don't even recognize this person. And they would say, I want to be more like that person. And this transformation. And see, that's sometimes God comes in and he just does a, a, just an utter makeover of what's going on in our heart. And so for me, for example, some of you, now I know you came to Christ slowly or you grew up in the faith, but for me, it was different. It was just like I was going this way, just hedonism and just a mess. And God got a hold of my heart and absolutely transformed my life. Just changed me in a huge way. Uh, my shift from uh, working in publishing uh, to pastoring, that was just this radical transformation. And there's just various long-term issues and mindsets that God has touched in my heart that have just been these radical changes. And you know what I found with all of these transformational changes? It's none of them were easy. 
I mean, every single one of them was there's this like this tearing or, or this death that came up to a resurrection, right? And it upended everything. And see, some change in our life can only come by God just kind of coming in there and intervening and transforming you because you don't even know you need it. I mean, it's kind of like when they first started putting a roundabouts up in town. I was like, what is this all about? And now I'm like, those things are awesome. I love roundabouts now. We should have them everywhere. Every, we should be like England now, right? But at the beginning, you're like, what, what are they doing? What, this, 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 this is weird. It's uncomfortable. It's not right. And then it comes and it changes everything. Like, oh, thank you, God. I didn't even know I needed that change. And some change that you and I need, actually, it only comes by crucifixion. I mean, what if there is a deep work that God wants to do in your life? What if there's this thing that you've kind of been managing around? I mean, you know those types of problems? That you've just carried those types of attitudes and just kind of have to manage them? Like, I've got this anger problem and I have to manage my anger problem. And are you ready to go beyond these little adjustments in your life? Just these little changes to just say, oh God, just come and transform me. I want a crucifixion here so I can have a resurrection. So I want to show you how we see this in Scripture. It happens a number of times. And we're going to look just quickly at three different important people in the Bible that God just changed radically. And it's Peter and Paul and Moses. And you see each of them, that, that there was incremental changes in their lives. But there's this transformative, just these moments where God just radically shifted everything. So we'll look at Peter here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And we're going to see where the transformation starts. And this is how it, how it begins for them, and this is how it begins for you. <clears throat> and as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were, fish, they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, of course, the, Peter had no idea how big this call was. He had no idea how, how his earth was gonna, world was going to be shaken and he was going to be transformed, and what it meant to move from fishing to being a fisher of men. And we see Paul has an amazing and probably a more dramatic call here. If you go to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. So Saul, whose name was later Paul, as he was ministering to the Gentiles later, it says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So he's attacking the church. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters <clears throat> to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's us, the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So this radical call for Paul. And then we see over in Moses, if you go over to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. 
And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. <clears throat> One of the things I want you to understand is that you are a marked man. You are a marked woman. See, God has a call for you. And just like those three, he is looking at you and he says, guess what? I have more for you. I want to bring you into something deeper. I have more freedom. I have more life. I have a deep, dangerous, radical call for your life that's actually going to cause you to die to your current life so I could resurrect you into a new life. A dangerous, radical prayer is to come before God and say, God, make me more like Jesus. Make the most of my life. Here's another dangerous prayer change me. God will heed that prayer. And do you dare, do you dare come before him and say, change me. Make me more like you. Go deep. Go ahead. Do the surgery. Now, almost, almost a decade ago, I prayed uh, to God. I said, Lord, I need to become a more courageous leader. Would you just teach me courage? And he did. And you know how he did it is he took me through probably one of my deepest leadership fears. We, we had a leadership crisis here about a decade ago. And, and it was just a huge staffing issue. And, and I'll tell you what, it shook me to the core. I mean, for three days, I just didn't sleep. And, and I mean, I would like shake at night. And, and, and you know, uh, one of the things that uh, Calvin and I say is never waste a crisis. And it was a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal for me. But one thing everyone close to me could see as I was walking through this is, is that I made it a bigger deal than I needed to, right? I mean, it was its own problem and it was a bad problem, but it actually revealed that there was a problem inside of me. And anyone going through that would have been pressed, but I wasn't pressed. I mean, I was crushed. And what it revealed is that I was walking in and that I just always had this kind of this low level, deep rooted fear. There's just always anxiety. And it was enough that I could manage it. I could just kind of temp it, temper it down, you know, and I would be okay. But, but then I couldn't control it anymore. I mean, it was just like, it was, it was like the gloves were off and, and, and the, the governor was taken away. And I was just full on in this deep-rooted anxiety and fear. And I talked uh, during that time to one of my uh, friends in ministry. His name's uh, Philemon. And he's a, he's a bishop over 26 churches in Africa. I mean, he's seen a lot. <clears throat> and he says, Pastor Carl. When this happens again, I was like, oh, no, no, hold, stop right there. This isn't happening again. And he says, oh, yeah, it is. It will, it'll happen again. It'll happen multiple times. And he says, when it does, it'll be different. Because you'll be different. And you know what? He was right. Things like that have happened again. And you know what? It's been different. You know why? Because I'm different. God changed me through it. I asked for courage, and that's actually one of the things that he worked through. Now, I'm not saying that he brought the crisis. It was, it was a bad, bad time. But in the middle of it, never waste a crisis. And see, sometimes the only way around an issue is straight through the issue. I think Robert Frost said something like that. Never waste a crisis. And so here's the question. You know, we ask, well, why does this keep happening? And I think that's actually a pretty good question to ask. Because one of the things I've noticed about my problems is I am always involved in them. <laughs> right? I'm always contributing to them in some way. 
And here's another question to ask in the middle of the problems. Why does this keep affecting me? You ever ask that? I mean, have you noticed that there's some things that are just like, well, whatever. But then there's other things. It's that one thing. Why does this keep happening to me? The real question is, why does this keep affecting me like it does? And if you don't run, and if you will just look to him, and if you keep going, and if you start to look into, okay, why do I respond this way? And why do we react this way? Why does this keep affecting me? You're going to see that your fear is going to turn to faith. And your doubt is going to turn to trust. And the next time it happens, it will be different. Do you know why? Because you'll be different. It's going to happen again. But you'll be different. The way you walk through it, you'll walk through with courage, you'll walk with faith. You won't give yourself over to fear. And here's the thing is sometimes the work of the Lord has to go so deep because we are so deeply infected. Sometimes it just has to tear because the fear or the anger or the control or the idol or whatever it is that has to get out of your life is a deep part of who we are. It's so enmeshed that the only way that we can get free is through a crucifixion, through a tearing. I mean, we don't know where we begin and it ends, right? Look, look where Peter starts. If we go back to Luke 5, it's amazing. I, I don't know if this is, if you know, this is where Jesus found Peter. And so Jesus, he, he does this amazing miracle and all these fish come in and it's breaking the nets. And after he sees this in verse 8, he says, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, when, when Peter was called, when he said, come and be a fisher of men, he had no idea how deeply God was going to move. He had no idea how much he was going to die to how he saw himself and how he saw the world and how he saw God. He had no idea how he was going to be resurrected again. He had no idea how deep the master surgeon's blade and knife was going to go into his heart and make a change. We see it with Paul, Acts chapter 9. And so he's blinded and he's been blinded for three days and God sends Ananias to go talk to him. And look what he says, God says to Ananias in 9.15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument, just like you were chosen by God, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. Catch this, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Sometimes we don't know how deep the infection goes. And see, fear and anxiety, I mean, they were just like part of my core. See, if you grow up in, what I've read about this, I've learned about this. If you grow up in a home that's filled with rage, fear becomes just a part of you. I mean, that, that's, listen, dads, did you hear that? If your kids grow up in a home filled with anger and rage, fear becomes a part of them. Be careful of the power that God has given you. Be aware of, of what we're giving, Right? And so it, it, it just became a filter for my experience, right? And again, you know, I learned how to manage through it. And I got some really good tools. And actually, I managed it pretty well. And managing, you see, managing your issues is serving you pretty well. So I learned, well, just be responsible for everything and, and you'll be all right. Always apologize, even if you aren't wrong. Always make the peace. And you know, all those things, they work really, really well until they don't. And your managing works really, really well until it doesn't. 
And then God says, it's time for some new tools. It's time for some new strategies here. God's been actually challenging me in the last couple of months. He's been asking me to bring some new tools. See, I look at it like these arrows, and there's some arrows like, I mean, I just know how to shoot. You know, separate the coals. Boom, yep, I know how to do that one. Starve the problem. Boom, yeah, I do that all the time. You know, manage, make it, we can work it out. Yeah, that's always on the mark. I always hit that one. And then God put this new arrow in my hand. And it's confront the problem. And I'm like, what do I do with this thing? Deal with the spiritual issue. If you're going to demolish strongholds and anything that rises its head above Jesus Christ, I'm like trying to notch this thing and like, whoa. Okay, Lord. But it's a new tool. I mean, if I want to pastor you, sometimes I have to say, hey, we need to address the issue here. We're not just going to starve this. We're going to deal with this. God's been asking me to learn new tools. What new tools does God want to put in your hands? See, and we manage, we use the old things, and God's like, I got something new. I've got a better way, and I'm still going to use to separate the coals. I'm going to, I mean, that's one I know how to use. I'm going to still use the, the work it out, find common ground. I mean, I'm good at that one. But God's saying, I want some new arrows back there. I want to put this in your hand, and I want you to learn how to do it. And God's got new tools for you. He's got new ways, and it goes beyond just managing your issues, right? You know, one of the things that's amazing about the New Testament is you see this finality of the work that God does. You see this completion as he's moving. God, God doesn't say, hey, just get rid of 95% of the idols. Get rid of most of the idols. That'll do. Never. He's like completely eradicate them. There is no place in your heart. There's no place for an idol. And so you and I, we, we don't dance with idols. That's the problem. We demolish them. Don't dance with your idols. Get rid of them. See, we don't negotiate. We don't come to the table with the enemy. We rebuke him. We cast him out. We put him down. And some of us want to make a deal with Satan in the middle of our difficulties. And we don't manage or play with our strongholds. We tear them apart. We throw them away. We walk away from them. And as I was praying this morning, I, there's someone here, I, I think that you need to hear this. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, but that broken thing that holds on to your heart, it won't be done with you until you are finally done with it. And you have to decide, I'm done. I'm done playing with it. I'm done dancing with it. I'm done managing this thing, and it is time now for a crucifixion. See, with real transformation, small or large, there's usually a tearing, there's a death, there's a real crucifixion that takes place. And it's not me, but it just seems like it's such a, a part of me. And I don't love it, but I know it. And so the only way to get rid of it is I got to tear it out. And God comes with this surgeon's blade. Removes the infection. I think for Peter, it was actually the denial. If you go over to Luke 22, verse 31. And so this is at the, the Lord's, the Last Supper. And Jesus tells Peter, Simon, that's another name for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. You know, this is so comforting. But I've prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And isn't this so comforting? And when you have turned back, because I've prayed for you, you will turn back, strengthen your brothers. 
But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you know me. This is interesting. Jesus knew what was about to take place. And actually, we see that, that Jesus permits some of what Satan wants. But he puts limits. Just like with Job, he says, okay, you could go this far, but, but this is where you're going to have to stop. And God, did, he didn't send the sifting, but he allowed the sifting, didn't he? And he used it for this deep, deep change and this transformation that could happen through no other way except a crucifixion. You know what I think Peter's problem was? I think it was self. I'm ready to die for you. I can do it. I mean, even, even when he first meets him, it's self, right? I, I am a sinful man. I'm not good enough. Come back when I get my act together. And the answer wasn't, well, think more positively, Peter. It was, I need to do a deep work. The only hope for you, Peter, is that you die to yourself so I could come alive within you. There has to be a crucifixion so I could bring a resurrection. And then you see Peter after the denial. And what does he say three times? You know I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Because Jesus, now I get it. It is all about you and it's not about me. We see Paul, he's blinded for three days in the darkness and he can't see. And can you imagine what was going on in his head? Jesus? That's the truth? I mean, you're the one. I, I was doing this for you, God. And the religion was so deep in Paul that it had to be crucified. He had to learn something new. And it is amazing as you, as you look at his letters now. I mean, who in the entire world knows grace like Paul knows grace? The man who was held and burdened and captive and driven by religion to the point that he was killing people in the name of it. He's the one who teaches us about grace. And then Moses, as he's out there trying to lead these people, and he's just so frustrated with them because they're so, they're so difficult to lead. And he's supposed to talk to this rock to bring water because there's no water. And he's just so mad at them, and he takes a stick, and he just, he just beats the rock. And we see in Hebrews that that rock actually was symbolic of Jesus. But he loses it. He's out of control. And he's exhausted and he can't manage these people anymore. And his uncle says, listen, you've got to delegate. And he finds that he can't do it until he dies to self. And this transformation that you're looking for, it actually comes at the end of your self. It's actually a beautiful moment when Peter or Paul or Moses or you says, I can't do this. See, there's some maladies that take a surgeon. And it's in the I can't, Lord, I cannot do this, where we finally come to grace. And I hope, I hope you've been at a place at one point in your life where you're just like, I can't. I don't know how. I hope you've been there. Because if you've been there, if you've, I can't be good enough. I can't try hard enough. I cannot fix this. Because if you've been there, then you've moved from a place where you knew about grace and now you've experienced grace. 
And you know what God can do? Remove from the power of your will and your habits and your change to the power of the crucifixion. The only way to find a real resurrection. If you bring up Galatians 2, 19. Do you have that for me? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Some change is just bigger than we are. The moment of salvation is just bigger than we are. The moments of transformation is just this dying to ourselves. So here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready to change? You're a marked man. You're a marked woman. I mean, God has a call for you. In this death of our brokenness, the death of our attitudes, the death of our mindsets. You know, it doesn't have to come through like just the horrible circumstances all the time. But you know what? It very seldom comes without some sort of struggle. There's almost always a tearing. You know why? Because we just become so comfortable with it. We, we just learn to live with it. I forget what movie it was when the, uh, it was Red Dawn. Where he says, uh, it's talking to the kids, he says, uh, you know, all that anger is going to burn you up, son. And he says, ah, it keeps me warm. Right? Keeps me warm wrong. It's going to destroy you. And that's how many of us deal with our issues. Like, well, our unforgiveness just keeps me going. Our anger is how I manage. Jesus is calling for crucifixion. He's calling to challenge what's safe. He's, he's challenging us to, to just kill what, what we've always known and what we've always done. It's time for many of us to go beyond managing that thing to actually changing. To come into the crucifixion. Why? So you can experience resurrection. And he makes this transformation. I mean, isn't it wonderful? Peter, you know, he, he's, it's all about self and, and my self-power. And then what does he get? He dies to that. And in the resurrection, he has real power. The Holy Spirit. Humility that brings real life, real strength, real courage. And Paul moves from this self-effort, this trying, I'm going to do it, I can do it, I've always done it, to this astounding grace, you know. I'm the chief of all sinners. You look at how God has favored me and helped me. From control to the ministry of freedom. And Moses, where, you know, he, he's got this mindset of, you know, he grew up in Pharaoh's house and he's a prince and who's used to just like, you know, my way is the way and I'll make it happen. Where he learns to actually just shepherd other people and to bring them to their great real king. Do, do you know what I like better than anxiety? You know what I like better than fear? Do you like better than managing my issues? I like courage. I like faith. I like trust. Man, I, I like living in the real power that God has given me. I love the freedom that God has worked into my life so I can be a courageous leader. Not because I'm so great, not because, you know, I, I'm, oh, I'm so strong. It's because I know who my God is. So thankful that God doesn't waste a crisis. 
that if we press into him, he will use every crisis. And do you know what you're going to like better than the thing that's holding on to your heart right now? The freedom that God has for you? The resurrection that he wants to bring? The ministry and life that Jesus has on the other side of this? So what do we do? Well, we come to him and we admit, Lord, I need a change. We be so courageous as to say, God, I am ready for a change. And some of you, you already know what it is, right? I'm always filled with worry and fear. Is that the promise of Scripture for you? I have an anger problem. Is that the Spirit-filled life? Lord, change me. I don't want to manage this anymore. I want to be free of this thing. And then we allow the process. Now listen, if you're going to ask for change, you better expect a flare-up. You better expect a challenge. Like if, okay, I've got an anger problem. Guess what's going to come? All sorts of opportunities for you to be angry. Right? All sorts of opportunities for you to worry. It's a powerful moment. It is a powerful moment to say, God, I have an anger problem. But you know what's just as powerful? I'm going to find out why. Lord, show me why. What's underneath this thing? What's underneath the surface that you want to crucify, that you want to change in me? And then you know what you do? You seek the transformation. Three ways. There's three steps to transformation. Okay? Here it is. The first one is whatever it takes. So you come and you lay it down at the altar and it's like, okay, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want to do, and God, don't take most of it, take all of it. It's a really gross proverb in the Bible. It says, a dog returns to its own vomit. Don't think too much about it. It's gross. It says, just like that happens, a fool returns to his folly. Whatever it takes, Lord, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to this one. Whatever it takes, decide you are never going back. You are never embracing that idol. You're not going to dance with it. You're not going to play with it. You're going to crucify it. That's step one. You know what step two is? Whatever it takes. If you need a pastor to help you or a counselor or accountability partner or learning, whatever it takes, a restoration prayer, go get restoration prayer, whatever it takes, God will give you the way. If you say, oh Lord, would you just give me the key? Give me the direction. He'll bring the right counselor. He'll bring the right friend. He'll bring the right strategy. He'll bring the right prayer, whatever it takes. And then there's a third step. And that third step is whatever it takes. Forgiveness. If it's time to forgive, it's time to forgive. Or acting in the opposite, or just dealing with your past. It's time to deal with your past, or it's time to let go of the disappointment, whatever it takes. See, the cross was the greatest response in all of history to whatever it takes. How can God deal with the sin of his creation? Whatever it takes. And it's going to take the cross. And I'm not going to do it part way. I'm going to do it all the way. I'm going to complete this thing. I'm going to do whatever it takes. How can I be reunited with the ones that I love, the children that I'm so desperate for, whatever it takes, and it takes the cross. And yes, sometimes we need seven new habits for highly effective whatever. I mean, you know, that's fine. That's good. And that incremental change is important. But you know what? Sometimes we need to die. 
Sometimes we just need a stake to the ground. I'm done. We need to die to ourselves or we need to die to our mindsets or our comforts or our ways or the way we've been managing things. And the only way to be free is to be reborn in Him. So if you're so bold right now, let's just pray that God would change us. So if you just bow your heads and just pray this, Jesus, change me however you want to. Jesus, change me. Lord, I'm tired of managing my unforgiveness. God, I'm, I'm tired of managing my anger. I'm tired of managing my fear. I'm tired of managing my, my loneliness, my isolation. I'm tired of managing my, my self-hate. I'm tired of managing my disappointment. Lord, I want to be free. And God, even if it takes a crucifixion, I want the resurrection. I want the freedom and I want the life that you have for me. Oh God, would you change me? Lord, I thank you that the freedom that I have is from you. I thank you that you've brought me so far. But Lord, I ask that you go all the way. That you would make me more like Jesus. That you would make me more complete. That you would make me new. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in Him. God bless you.